Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast with me, Sophia DeSantis. And today, this is episode 73, and I have my friend Karina here today, and I'm so excited um, to chat with her. She is from this amazing podcast of her own, um, The No Bullshit Vegan, which spoke to me so loudly when I was searching for podcasts and people to connect with because I'm so all about no bullshit, and um, so is she. And um, I was on her podcast, and we really connected and have just the same tune of life. And I just love her. So I'm stoked to have you here today, Karina. Well, thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Um, Why don't you tell everybody who you are, um, all your credentials and what makes you amazing? (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I won't bore people. I like to tell folks that I kick people's butts for a living. (laughs) Love it. Right? So basically, fitness coach, I work with a team. I've got an amazing coach colleague and a team in my business. We work with vegan clients all over the world. So everything we do is online. We do fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, leveling up lifestyles, basically increasing people's quality of life on plant-based diets. And then the other projects, as you mentioned, are the podcast. And then I also write books. I'm currently working on number five. There's two vegan cookbooks and the rest are strength training and foam rolling related of all things. So it's mostly coaching with some projects like the podcast and books as well. I love it. And um, I love that you have a master's degree in gerontology. I think that's so cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, it was kind of a weird road to get there. Like, you know, if I think back to when I was a kid, first I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, then I wanted to be a naturalist, then I wanted to be an artist. So like, I've gone through all of these different iterations. But when I went into my undergrad, I thought I would go into psychology. But when I took a class, as part of that degree on aging and healthy aging, the psychology of aging, I was like, okay, this is super interesting. I need to go more in depth here. So the the health and aging training in grad school is now being applied to our clients and, you know, creating long-term habits, having people who are 93 and still kicking ass. I love that. And um, as an aging person myself, I, I'm well, aren't we all? <laughs> I know. Um, but it's just, it's actually interesting because I mean, I just turned 44 in July and I actually have already been through menopause. I went through early onset menopause. And so I am done and past that. Um, and it's, it's really interesting that I really have seen so many changes in myself and my body. And I've always been really active. I've always been very motivated with fitness and exercise. Um, I use it. I have anxiety. So I use it as just anxiety relief. That's how Mm -hmm. I manage things. I have Um, anxiety as well. We're buddies on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, it's such a good manager for me. Like I just, I need to move my body to just, I just feel better. And, Mm -hmm. um, as I age, like I do notice a change in the types of things that I prefer to do, I guess. And it's more like my body prefers. Um, and, asks me to do. Um, and it's just different, which is cool because my fitness goals when I was younger are just were different. And my fitness goals now are different. And I feel like they're still changing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they will, right? Like I just, as every season of your life, all your goals will change and fitness is one of those. It's not like you are sticking to the same thing forever. Exactly. Yep. Definitely agreed. Uh, so for people that are new to this and most of you, you know, listening probably understand, but I, I want to kind of take it down to the basics because I always want to make sure I'm including everybody and uh, understand what we're talking about. Can you explain like what it means to have fitness goals um, in general? Like what, what, what does that mean when, especially when they work with people like you? Right. That's a great question. Very loaded question, but great question. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so here's the thing. Everyone is human. Everyone has this innate need, I'll call it, to feel great, to look great, to feel comfortable with themselves, right? Not everyone is at that point, but we all essentially want to be at that point. And so there's no one size fits all approach when it comes to what our fitness goals are. But I do believe that there are fitness goals that are more or less beneficial to us long term, for health reasons, for mental health reasons. So, I mean, anything could be a fitness goal. You could want to run your first marathon. You could want to lose 10 pounds of fat. You could maybe want to do your first pull-up ever unassisted. So there's really, you know, there's not one umbrella definition of what a fitness goal is, but we can break it down further into what kind of a fitness goal is this. Is it something that's an input versus an output, for example? And this is something that I was discussing with my friend Tobias on my podcast recently. And so what we try to do with our clients in our business, in coaching, is differentiate between input fitness goals and output fitness goals. So usually what we have are output goals. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to shrink my waist by two inches. I want to deadlift twice my body weight. Those are outputs. Those are things we actually don't have direct control over. You can't step on the scale and will it to tell you a specific number, right? You can't just walk up to your your barbell and immediately lift 300 pounds off the ground. So what we try to do is we try to create input goals, which you have direct control over. So for example, let's say your goal is to lose 10 pounds of fat. And we have a very weight neutral approach to coaching, by the way, but just for the sake of argument yeah, because here. Every, totally. Because I think everybody, and I, I love the whole weight neutral, but I think so many people attribute fitness to weight that exactly. it's a good example yeah. to get. Yeah. So, and it's fine, right? Like, again, we, we're all human. We all have physique goals for ourselves, or many of us do. So let's take the 10 pound of fat loss goal as just kind of an example, because a lot of folks start there and a lot of folks have that as their goal. So that's an output, right? You don't have direct control over that. What you do have control over are your inputs. Like, for example, are you doing your 10,000 steps a day? Are you drinking enough water? Are you working out regularly? Are you eating enough protein? Are you making most of your own meals at home versus getting takeout? Those are input goals and they might not seem as exciting, but those are things you can track and they're things that you have direct control over. So we try to get our clients to have input goals. Like for example, I'm going to do 30 minutes of strength training Monday, Wednesday, Friday for three months. And we can track that. We can see whether someone is on point and it's a lot more, I'm going to say psychologically healthy that way. Then focusing on, 
well, let's step on the scale every week or every day, or let's see how much weight you're losing. Because, I mean, that's a whole other uh, discussion about how weight isn't really a good measure of progress anyway. But you kind of see the difference between inputs and outputs. Yes, I love that. That's so great. And, you know, it's so funny that you said that because we just got back from a 16-day vacation in Hawaii with our best friends at their house. And for 16 days, um, we ate and we drank (laughs) a lot. (laughs) As Um, you should if you're on vacation. Exactly. And um, I actually did um, work out. We were quite active as well. But our input of food and alcohol was substantially increased than normal. Mm -hmm. Um, especially the alcohol, because no matter how you look at it, no matter how you work out and eat when you're adding five to seven drinks a day into your, (laughs) into your, (laughs) into your program, you know, anyway, so we come home and the, the next like day after, you know, we've woken up, whatever my husband, apparently he has a scale. I do not have a scale. I don't like scales. I've never had one, but Mm -hmm. he has one. And he like apparently weighed himself and he comes to us and she goes, Oh my God, I totally have gained 10 pounds. And I looked at him. I'm like, A. Why would you ever weigh yourself the day after 16 days of vacation? <laughs> good That's point. Good point. Insane. <laughs> and B, like, did you not just assume that you probably need to get back to eating healthier and moving your body? Like, I don't, okay. Um, what's mm-hmm. your point? So it's true because it's like, so if you, the whole point, like you weigh yourself and you just, that just automatically puts a negative spin on things. Mm-hmm. Well, plus, especially if you're somebody who strength trains, you know, I, for example, in the last year have increased my strength training compared to usual. Right. Um, and I've gained weight like 10 yes. pounds in the last year. Now has my size changed? Not at exactly. all. Exactly. Yeah. So if all I was looking at was the scale, I'd be like, what in the hell is going on here? But it's right. not telling you what you're made of. It's not telling you body composition. Totally. It's affected by way too many variables, like what you ate and how much water you drank. It's really not a good measure. And if you've pooped yet that day, exactly. it's like, there's so many factors. And it's funny because I'm, I'm very petite. I probably average about a hundred pounds my entire life. So if I actually don't work out hard, I actually weigh less, like you said. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I Mm -hmm. actually weigh more. Um, but my average, obviously not pregnant, but my average has been probably most of my grown life between 95 and 105 pounds. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I teeter. And it's hilarious because I, and I know this because of doctor's appointments and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny though, because clothing wise, like, as I said, I've been through, um, menopause, like my body has changed a little bit. And I've also had three kids. So of course my body's changed a little bit. And so I've had to like change clothes, but my size of clothes hasn't changed. It's more, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's more the, like the style, like some, you know how it is. Some brands fit you better than others. Sure. So it's so interesting that size hasn't changed, but you know, different styles now fit me better than before. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, which I fully agree with you. The whole weight thing is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a trigger, I think for a lot of people and they don't realize that. So I I have, I have a coach friend, Ren Jones, who puts it really well. He's like, okay, so if you get on this box that gives you an arbitrary number and that arbitrary number dictates the emotional quality of your day, that's an abusive relationship and you need to break up with that box. Yes, totally. It's totally true. Yeah. If it, I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, some people, you know, have to stay away from 
you know, social media, some people have to, I mean, if it's, right. if you wake up in the morning and you are upset by connecting with a human or an object, it's time to change. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, and then again, it, we're also bringing in too, we haven't talked about how we're all so different in our mm-hmm. body styles, mm-hmm. you know? So fitness goals, depending on, you know, who you are is, is going to be different. I mean, I, I'm short, I'm petite, I'm five foot five, one on a good day. I will can never have a goal to increase my leg size and be like a tall lanky model. That's never going to (laughs) happen. Well, that's a really good point. And, you know, in, in fitness and nutrition, we get all these absolutes coming at us from social media, from mainstream media, yes. from a lot of professionals in the field as well. But really, if you think about it, the answer is always it depends. There's context to take into account. There's individual differences to take into account. It's always it depends. And so you have a good point. We're all different. We have different genetics. We have different lifestyles. We have different goals. Everything is different. And so something that I feel happens a lot when it comes to fitness goals is comparison that is not serving us well. We look at the Instagram account of a CrossFit competitor and we're like, oh, I want abs like that. What do I need to do to get abs like that? But you're an office worker and you have three kids and you're not training eight hours a day. So we're looking at apples and oranges here in a lot of cases. And so, you know, there's pros and cons to social media, of course, which is a whole other podcast episode, probably. But um, I think that's one of the things that is not serving us well is we're seeing these end results of someone who has a completely different lifestyle, completely different body type. And we're like, well, that person did it. So what do I need to do to do that? And it might not not actually be realistic. Expectation management is actually a big part of setting goals. Yes, totally. I mean, expectation management, I actually um, believe is a big part of everything in your life. And I have, that's been actually, that's funny that you raised that, that word exactly, because I um, have been running these plant-based parent classes and I, my third one is on Friday. Um, And one of the classes we talked about how to get more veggies into your kids. And the very first thing I said is lower your expectations. Right. I remember we talked about that on yeah. on our podcast episode and yeah. I I thought that was pretty brilliant actually. Yeah, because we have these expectations based on this world that we live in like you said, the online world, the social media, the just our society, the society that we personally live in um and we forget that we are still individuals within this working society, within this world. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I'm very, it's also nature too. You know, like I'm very blessed. My first child eats everything, always Mm -hmm. has, always has, has never said no to try something. My second and third child are a whole different situation. So my expectation of what my first child is going to eat as far as vegetables goes, which by the way, um, they ate no vegetables other than French fries and onion rings for two weeks. And that's also okay. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not even kidding. They had like a few smoothies with like probably like pre-mixed like fruit juice, but nice. um, <laughs> yeah, two weeks of like complete crap, which is great and totally fun. But um, reality hit them really hard on Monday when we got back. Oh, um, absolutely. So my expectation of what my first child is going to eat, is going to be very different than my expectation of my third child who literally when I put spaghetti squash in his bowl the other day, looked at me and said, I don't eat that. And I said, oh, well, wow. 
tonight you're going to have a bite because you haven't had a vegetable in two weeks. So you can choose to eat that, or you may find another vegetable in the refrigerator to eat. Right. Um, and so expectation, that's my number one thing in everything. And we have to be kind to ourselves because when our expectations are not high, like you're actually in an abusive relationship with yourself. Absolutely. Well, here's something too. Let, let me just uh, get people to question the whole concept of setting goals in the first place. Because it's kind of mm. expectation management too, actually. Yeah. So look, I'm a very goal-oriented person, okay? So I'm coming from a background of like workaholism, high achieving, you know, my my worth is tied to my achievements, et cetera, which I'm actually working to break away from for many years now. <laughs> but that's that's who I am, right? And I think a lot of your listeners probably can relate to that. We set goals, we achieve them, and then we set the next goal. Here's the thing, though. Is it possible that we could still achieve things, you know, be mentally stable, be content in life without setting goals at all? You know, I don't think it works for everyone. I had tried it myself last year with my business. I always, for the last 10 years, I've been running my business for a decade now. Every single year I would set goals for the business, you know, this many clients, this much in sales, et cetera, et cetera. Last year was the first year I set exactly zero goals for the business and it was my best year ever coincidence maybe possibly but here's the deal with goals especially in fitness we have no way of knowing how long it's going to take to achieve something yeah we can have educated guesses sure but if we have someone who wants to do their first chin up for example which is a major strength goal for a lot of folks we don't know how long that's going to take a year six months 9.3 months, we have no clue. So that's part of it. Expectation management is sometimes difficult, if not impossible, when it comes to setting goals. Plus, you have this psychological construct of, oh, I'll be content when I achieve A, B, and C, where we want to make sure folks are enjoying the process. And yes, you can do both. You can enjoy the process and have a goal. But I'm just saying, it might be worth setting things like habits, for example. I'm huge into habit setting, which I suppose is kind of a goal if you think about it, but it's not an end result. My habit is to meditate every day, to practice music four days a week, to strength train five times a week and swim three days a week. Like those are my goals. They're not, hey, I want to do, you know, a thousand meters in the pool in 15 minutes, or I want to do... 10 pull-ups in a row in three months from now. So just throwing it, throwing it out there that there's other ways of achieving things in fitness and in life that aren't setting goals. Um, that's, I'm like, seriously, I did, I don't remember if we talked about this on your podcast, like about my think so. goal. Okay. So I have a whole pro, like product, um, a freebie on called small habits, make big changes. Oh, I like where this is going. And that's a hundred. So I was a, I was a teacher for 14 years. And part of my teaching career, I was a special education teacher. And part of being a special education teacher is you have these IEP goals for each of your students at individual educational plan. Um, and within that, these goals you have, you create small benchmarks and these benchmarks are, are like small habits. And, um, I use, I've used my master's degree in special education to kind of 
put it into my business now. I actually use a lot of my teaching training in my business now. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of like exactly what I'm talking about is if your overall goal and what you want to achieve is to increase your vegetable intake, how can you do that? And again, I agree, putting a time frame on that is very hard because we don't know. And, and also life happens. So if you say you want to do something at this time, and then you have a major life crisis, and then you don't meet your goal, it's, it's already making you, it's hitting you when you're down. So mm -hmm. instead of, um, you know, cause that's life, things always happen. So instead of putting a time frame, I say, I talk a lot about creating small habits. So somebody who doesn't eat, you know, let's say doesn't eat a lot of vegetables. You know, one example, my easiest example is get, make yourself a smoothie for breakfast every day, put a handful of spinach in it right there. You've increased your vegetables and mm -hmm. make that, a ha make that a habit. Now I will do not make a smoothie without putting a handful of spinach. You don't taste it. Fine. It might look kind of ugly, but it's just a habit. Now, every time I pull my smoothie stuff out, my habit is to grab my spinach container. So it's, it's attaching things that you do already. Like if you like spaghetti sauce, puree some greens into that spaghetti sauce, puree some um, zucchini or some carrots, attaching what you want to do to a habit you already have and making, creating it part, making it part of your everyday life, that is going to be a much bigger change. Than, Absolutely. So totally the same thing. It's just applying it to fitness. And I do in my actual freebie, I do have movement go, uh, habit ideas as well. Like if you, if you don't exercise, why don't you start with taking a walk after dinner every night? Yeah, exactly. Because you eat dinner every night. So well, and also these are things that you can easily track. You can create a little, whatever works right. for you. I'm big on spreadsheets, you know, check it off on the spreadsheet. Yes, I did my walk. Yes, I had my smoothie. Or you can use an app. I use an app called Streaks for my various music practice things that I want to track and meditation. So it, it's just a little gamified, you know, it, it tracks it for you. It tells you what streak you're on. I'm just looking at it right now. Today is day 841 of meditating. So it, it's kind of cool to know those things, right? Right. Um, and those are things you can track and you, you can see if you're on, on point, on target or not. Um, I read a really cool book. One of the books I read in 2020 was Goal Free Living by Stephen Shapiro. And that really set this whole thing in motion. Like, damn, maybe I should not have goals for a year and just see what the hell happens. <laughs> And um, he had some really good points in there, actually. Like, uh, for example, people who are detached from this goal of, let's say, fitting into a size four dress, that's a very common fitness goal, you know, a size, whatever dress is what I want to wear. If you're detached from that goal, you're actually more likely to lose weight if that's what you want to do, because you're not going to be discouraged by a lack of progress or plateauing. And you're probably going to be more interested in and more in tune with the actual journey, as cliche as that sounds, you're going to take more yeah. pleasure in your workouts and your eating habits. And it's just going to be more realistic if you don't have this attachment to a goal. And I think that can apply to anything, but especially fitness when it comes to things like weight loss, strength training, etc. Yes, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And also, it's just the psychology, like we're all humans. And when we have um, when we don't, when we feel failures, it actually like lowers our motivation to do things. And so when you have this goal and you don't meet it, you feel like a failure versus, you know, a habit, whether you do it once a week or twice a week, 
to start, you feel successful because you've done mm-hmm. something, you know, and, and achieving like- goals. I mean, achieving a goal doesn't mean you're going to achieve happiness. And I right. guess the same is you could say the same about habits, of course, but, but you but it, mentioned like small wins and you get yes. a little bit more empowered this way. Yes. You exactly. don't feel like a failure or exactly. you shouldn't. So I think it's a good, uh, win-win. Well, it is because like you said, like if, you know, if your overall, and I, it's, I kind of look at it as an umbrella, like your overall goal is to, I mean, ultimately all of our overall goals is just to be happier. And in order to feel good about, to feel good in life, like you do have to be healthier because when you're not, um, you don't feel good. And when you don't feel good, you're not, you know, it's hard to be happy. And that's Mm -hmm. just in general, you know? So when you can, when you can create these lifelong habits, plus habits are sustainable, you know? So your goal is to sit and fit into a size four dress, then what? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. You achieve that, then then what's next? You know, you may yeah. have also, you may have also created unsustainable habits for yourself in the interest of achieving this goal that is not actually super realistic. So again, expectation management. Right. But if exactly. your goal is to get results and keep them, generally, the faster we get results, the easier it is to lose them. So that can discourage a lot of folks who want results yesterday. And I know we're all human. We all want results yesterday. But, you know, you may have actually sacrificed things like your health or your mental health in the interest of this fairly arbitrary goal. Right. Exactly. And that's like, and the reality is like, again, if we're going back to expectations, if your expectation is to want results immediately, you're going to, you need a reality check because. (laughs) Exactly. it's that's your expectation. That's the number one problem. And that's what you said, like starting with expectations versus, you know, like, and that's the thing with my, um, when I was teaching with my students, by the time when I was teaching special education, unfortunately, because we have a fail first system in our education program, um, in general, in the United States, um, by the time I had students in my program, they had failed so many times, they had zero Mm self-confidence. So my number one thing was to work on that first, because you can't work on you can't, it's very hard to work on skills when you lack the confidence, the motivation, like it's very hard and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of, you know, running against like wind, you know, it's like, so my first thing when I worked with my students was to help increase their, their, um, self-confidence. And once I was able to do that, um, at least a little bit and get them, you know, motivated to actually start working on these, you know, deficits that they had, like, then you start seeing success because then they're feeling good about themselves and the little wins help them, you know, just move so much faster towards what they needed to get done. So exactly. It's it, I feel like it applies so much to everything. Um, the way we eat the habits, all that kind of stuff. So I love the idea of a fitness habit. Um, and I'm going to, I want to focus on that. So if somebody comes work to work with you, like how do you begin with setting a fitness habit? That's a great question. So when folks come to us, they are already on board with wanting certain results, having certain goals. You know, it's not like we're roping people into doing things that they're not interested in doing. So they're coming to us with ideas already of things that they want to work on. And sometimes there's a little bit of a reality check, yes, especially if it's a very outcome-focused goal versus an input one. But we have a lot of different methods. And again, it depends on who the individual person is, right? There's no one-size-fits-all approach. 
but really the the basic the basic piece here is it's a collaborative process so we zoe is my coach colleague so zoe and i do not dictate okay here's what you need to do on day one here's what we think you need to do on day two we create someone's ideal situation with them how many days a week are they going to train what do they need help with for their nutrition so the first piece of this creating habits is that it's a collaborative process and the client is choosing most of what they're going to be doing themselves versus having us dictate what they should do and then the second piece is just pure good old accountability two sets of eyeballs on everything someone is doing every workout they do every workout they miss every meal they eat every habit they check off so just having that level of accountability from someone outside your immediate sphere sometimes it can be really hard to have a spouse or a family member or a friend be an accountability buddy you kind of need to go outside that sphere i think for it to be extra effective so the accountability piece that's short term though because presumably you're not going to have a coach for the rest of your life at least that's our right. goal we we want to get folks to life after coaching but at the beginning accountability is huge just knowing that there's somebody there who has a certain level of expectations again for things that you have collaboratively set together as habits and I'm still using this now. I mean, I've been running my business for 10 years. I've been strength training for, I don't know, 18 years probably. And I have four different training buddies. Why? Accountability. You think I would work out as often as I do if I didn't have those set in stone accountability buddies, same day, same time, every week for years on end? Probably not. So the accountability piece is huge. The collaborative piece is huge. And then like you said, small wins. So if someone is coming to us who has never set foot in a gym, we're not going to say, okay, Sophia, maybe you can go to the gym for two hours, five days a week, and we're going to get you on this powerlifting program. That's not realistic. We're going to start maybe with home exercise. We're going to get them used to the fundamental strength training movements. So the small wins, the accountability, these are all pieces that come together, the collaborative uh, process and everyone has different things that work for them. Right. So that's, that's so important. The whole baseline, um, what you said, like someone's baseline, cause everyone's baseline is different and you need to make sure you're starting with that baseline in order to create those small wins and small habits to move them forward for sure. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, so basically it's like you, you, basically ask a client, like, you know, what is it that you want? You look at the expectations, whether they're appropriate, and then you look at the baseline and create together collaborative client-centered um, approach towards moving forward. Correct. Yes. And of course, we have certain things in our business that are just set in stone that everyone does. For example, everyone's sending us a check-in every Sunday, regardless of what level of coaching they're at. So there's certain things that we have, like, you know, there's workout logs that we can check. We either through photos or through uh, meal tracking in an app, depending on where the client is, we're looking at what folks are eating. So there's certain things that are set in stone, uh, but there's a lot of things that aren't. I mean, we get really creative with how accountability works, what kind of habit people want to track. We've got folks who are tracking 
everything from, you know, go to bed by a certain time to this amount of water to meditate every day. So whatever people want to track, depending on what's important to them, they now have accountability for. Right. Totally. Awesome. Um, And then once someone has like, you know, once a client has kind of, I guess, achieved and what they wanted to, how do you work for for sustaining? You know what I mean? Like they Mm, said- That's a good question. This sustaining of it all. Because I know like, you know, the goal is to graduate from working with you to be able to control your own, you know, fitness. So how do you move from, you know, holding their hand to kind of letting them sustain it? Yeah, that's a good question. So one answer could be to actually change the level of support you're getting from us as coaches. So to move to something where you're you're more on your own, you don't need the nutrition support anymore, you're just getting new workouts every month. We also have a community for all of our clients and clients, so if they want to continue being part of that, you know, um, monthly food prep sessions and a team chat that we have with no coaching from us. So it's basically, that's one option is to kind of graduate to a lower level of support from us, but you're still in the sphere somewhere. But the other thing is we do have a three month minimum for folks to work with us because we think that's the least amount of time it requires to really build bulletproof habits. The other thing is though, nine times out of 10, someone achieves their goal, but then they have more. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that this is so interesting. I wanna work on this now. Or, hey, I really enjoyed working on these lifts for the last month. Let's make those some official performance goals or something like that. So it doesn't really end at any point. We just have to get the client to a place where, as boring as it sounds, working out and meal prep and some level of thinking ahead for your nutrition feels just like brushing your teeth. It's going to happen no matter what. And sometimes it's experimental. We've had clients who say, hey, I'm good. Usually it's the client. We have a very client-centered approach. So it's the client saying, hey, I'm good. Let me try this on my own. We've had a select few people come back and say, you know what? I wasn't ready. Can I do another month? So it's, it's very dependent on where someone is. But it's kind of a combination of lowering the level of support that we're giving people and just sending people out on their own and seeing what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, I mean, there, you can work on, there's so many different types of, you know, from flexibility to cardiovascular to strength to, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things you can work on for sure. Um, or just overall maintenance of what you're doing, you know, moving your body. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I don't have any exciting goals at all. I haven't had any sort of fitness goals for, I don't know, eight years, probably (laughs) when people ask, they see me at the pool or strength training where they're like, Hey, what are you training for? I say life. I don't have any goals. <laughs> totally. And that's the same with me. I mean, I, you know, I, and every week is different for me. I mean, in general, I like to, I am not somebody that does just strength or just cardio. Like I need a little bit of everything. Like I, I love to get two or three yoga classes in because the, that type of movement has really, you know, my body loves that right now. Um, and I try and get a couple days of strength and then I try and get a couple days of cardio because that's just changing it up is what's important for me versus I get bored very easily. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hear you. Um, 
So then lastly, before we go, like, can we talk a little bit about the eating part of it? Um, when you work with clients, like as far as like, what are some foods and things that are important to make sure that you're getting when you are focusing on your fitness? Right. Well, first of all, let me preface this by saying that Zoe and I think there are a lot of problematic messages coming from the fitness and diet industries. So a yes. lot of what we do in our business is trying to challenge these problematic narratives that already exist. Again, a whole other podcast episode, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> but basically what it comes down to is we're we're working with folks who are plant-based or they are currently making the transition and they're working with us because they need the support for that. So we're working with people who may have come from a background of working with another coach who didn't get veganism and who had a diet plan that wasn't really entirely made for someone who's plant-based, for example. So the, the underlying uh, criteria here, I guess, is that everything is vegan. And everyone on our client roster is strength training in some form. Now, for some people, they have a sport that's their main thing. We've got competitive cyclists and, you know, long distance runners, and they're doing strength training to support that main activity. But we also have folks whose main activity is strength training. But basically, the mm -hmm. point is, everyone is strength training. So everyone's going to need to think about certain things from their nutrition to support the training they're doing and to recover from said training. And I know it sounds super cliche in the vegan world to say protein and getting enough of it, but whether you're vegan or not, if you're someone who's serious about strength training, you need to think about protein. And I'm not talking about having 16 protein shakes a day. Right. It's not realistic or necessary, but often protein is the thing that we work with because if you're sedentary, you don't need to worry about protein. If you're not strength training, you don't need a ton. It's super easy to get what you need. But if you have high level strength training goals or habits that you're working on, you kind of need to think about protein and really dense sources in the plant-based world, like your seitan and your tofu, your legumes, your nutritional yeast, all of those awesome things. So we don't give folks diet plans you know, like, okay, you're going to have this on Monday and this on Tuesday, because first of all, that doesn't work. It's not leaving any sort of, you know, decision-making power in the high, in the hands of the client. And second, fitness coaches are actually not qualified to do that, even though like 90% of them do. So if you come across right. a fitness coach who makes diet plans, they are right. not operating within their scope of practice. Just FYI. 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But anyway, unless so, they have, unless they have an RD degree. Of course. Along yes. with it. Yes. If they have an RD degree, that's basically the only scenario in which you can legally do that yep. within your scope of practice. But yeah, so we, you know, we create roadmaps for folks so they can kind of see what it might look like in practice to eat a certain amount of protein or a certain amount of carbs, but we're really taking some really basic numbers like calories and grams of protein, and we're translating it into day-to-day -day logistics. Like, okay, so I have this goal of doing, let's say 80 grams of protein a day. What does that look like for my breakfast? What am I doing for my snacks? What am I going to meal prep on the weekend? So a lot of it is hands-on kind of meal prep support. Right. Well, and also along with protein, I mean, I think the other thing in the, in the diet world, um, that is very, you know, ridiculous is 
you know, carbohydrates. Like if you're working out and, and you're increasing your fitness, like you need energy. Absolutely. And if yes. you're cut, if you're cutting your carbs and then you're like, well, I, I can't, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I feel awful after I run. It's like, well, yeah, cause your body's screaming at you. I have no energy. <laughs> that's right. That's a whole, you know, we could do a whole episode on problematic nutrition oh, related messaging. Oh, yeah. oh, good. I, I, oh, good. I, oh, I have like a lot of episodes. on. Yeah. That's awesome. About the pro- problematic messaging. So, um, love it. That's yeah. Yeah, totally. It's all problematic. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I yeah. bottom it line really is, is right. And, and bottom line is like, you, you want to get some great whole foods. You want to make sure you're hitting all those macros. You know, you want your protein, you need your carbs, you need healthy fats, you need fiber, you need right. all those things A rounded, you know, diet to make sure that you're giving your body what it needs in order to meet these fitness goals. Because if you're not, it's like trying to drive your car without gas. Like it's ridiculous. Well, that is, yeah, that's a really good analogy. And the other piece to this is, yeah, of course, all of these things are important. Macros, thinking about protein, micronutrients, calories, etc. But really, the main goal is not to obsess about any of these things. We're not going into a spiral of avoidance, like, oh, I can't eat that. This is bad food versus good food. We don't use terms like that. We don't even use the term cheat meal. You know, a lot of people use in the the strength training word. I hate that word. Strength training world, I should say. Yeah, me too. We use treat meal or treat foods. We're not going to instill guilt in someone for having food that's delicious. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I actually, I call it, it's, I say it's a choice, not a cheat because you're choosing to eat that and you should choose it and, and you should enjoy every single bite. Exactly. That's a really good word. I think wording is is super important. It might sound like such a small kind of no, I agree. unimportant thing, but it's huge. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been so great. And I really appreciate you taking your time and being on here and, and, you know, educating everyone. And just, I love, you know, how much we're on the same page with all this kind of stuff. Awesome. Me too. Well, thanks so much, Sophia, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, If you love the podcast, please make sure you rate and review. It really helps get my podcast out there and get awesome people on like Karina to help all of you guys. And um, we'll chat again soon. Bye everybody.